0: Welcome to the Birthing Instincts podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbine, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices,
1: and I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational-style podcast where we talk about everything birth.
0: Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. This, this is, is a Soulfire Soul Fire production. production.
1: Hello. Hi. Hi. I'm
0: back in my home office for. Two and a half days.
1: I noticed that. I was a little surprised to see you back in your home office. I thought you were out on the road.
0: I have been, and we'll talk about that in just a second. However, by the time this podcast plays, I will be back in my usual routine. And yeah. that's a good preface because we are going to talk a little bit at the uh, second half of the podcast about uh, life-work balance, right?
1: Yep. How do we do it? Uh, what happens when people get burned out, like how to avoid that, especially in midwifery. It's a, it's a big concern. I think, um, not only for potential people who want to seek out midwifery, but also those wanting to consider this as a career path.
0: Yeah. And why some people do it so much better than others. <laughs>
1: <laughs> True. Okay. We'll talk about, so we'll that'll talk about be later. That.
0: So yeah, I've been now
1: a, let's catch up.
0: Okay. So since the last podcast, um, I think I recorded uh, from Austin, Texas, um, last time we, we talked. Mm-hmm. So I have gone, um, I left Austin. Oh, did I, did I mention, I, mentioned I was going to have dinner that night with uh, Del Bigtree and his ro- lovely wife, Lee, and my friends Jen and Adam hosted, and it was a lovely evening. When was the last time you, first of all, I don't go to people's houses for dinner very often, but the dinner lasted four and a half hours yeah we just we just nibbled on appetizers we drank good wine we sat outside their kids all jumped in the pool and we were just sitting and talking and suddenly it was 9 30 we started at five suddenly it was 9 30 at night and um and del had to get up early for something and didn't even realize how late it was and uh so it was was it was wonderful talking to him it's so great for all of us to be in a in a room full of like minded people,
1: yeah.
0: Um, because there's so much conflict going on that that we need that. Uh, we do, yeah. In contrast, I had a dinner recently with friends in Big Bear where, um, no matter how hard I tried to get out of an argument, you know, I felt like uh, who's the guy that says I get oh the the from the Godfather I just get sucked right back in again. They just they say something so outrageously. Foolish, that I have to, that I have to, that I, I can't, I can't just say, that's interesting. That's an interesting point of view. Thanks for sharing. (laughs) Stuff doesn't doesn't come out of my mouth that way. It just doesn't work.
1: You know what one I learned? um, I don't know. I guess about a year ago, that's, that's worked really well with my kids is you may be right. You may be right. Um, because that's what most people want to hear. And it, uh, it kind of just leaves it up to like, I don't have to win this argument and you don't either, but you know, we can just agree to disagree without saying that, but.
0: So your solution is to say to them, you know, you may be right.
1: If you're wanting to avoid, (laughs) if you're at a nice dinner party and you just don't want to get into it, you just say, you may be right. And then change the subject.
0: Yeah. If you, you, but they don't let you change the subject.
1: okay (laughs) they want to they want
0: to pound you and pound you and pound you uh anyway it was really nice it was a very nice time and I want to again thank Jen and Adam for hosting us at their house okay so um I got a couple a couple of follow-up things uh last I do want to
1: I I do want to catch up a little bit on what what I'm doing
0: oh okay yeah I was still this was still related to catching up on me but but we'll oh, go. Okay. You. We'll, no, let's let's uh, let's play like a little bit of uh, tennis. So you, you your serve, <laughs> okay?
1: <laughs> well, we were you and I were laughing when we were just talking the other day, and you were like, "So where are you?" And I'm like, "In my cousin's backyard." And you were like, "Yeah, nobody knows where that is, Bruce. Um, but I'm still in my cousin's backyard." <laughs> uh, so I have not been all around like you have the last month. I've basically been here in Folsom.
0: You got a know.
1: I did get away. I went to Yellowstone for a few days. Um, Yosemite, 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 you.
0: <laughs> See, I know where you've been. You don't even know where you've been.
1: <laughs> they both start with. They both start with wise. wise it's really right? There. Um. Yeah. I went they're, both mar- they're both
0: marvelous, too. Man.
1: I actually like Yellowstone better, but Yosemite was beautiful, and well, there's, um,
0: there's more to do in Yellowstone.
1: Yeah, the waterfalls were dry, and I oh, think yeah. that that's a big. Thing. So if you're going to go to Yosemite, I, I say go in the spring when uh, the ice is melting and you'll really get the full benefit of the um, waterfalls and the beautiful wildflowers. But yeah.
0: you remember that last August a year ago, I was in Yosemite, and that's where remember I showed you the video of the bear. Yeah. Yeah. So I got, I was lucky. At least I saw a bear. I didn't see any waterfalls, but I saw a bear.
1: (laughs) I saw some deer up close. Um, yeah, it was lovely. And I, I had a lot of quiet time and did a lot of, uh, contemplating and just taking care of myself, which is what my, my trip is going to be about. Um, so my boys finally found jobs and an apartment. We'll be moving in this week and then, um, I'll be heading out, um, in the next few days and, and meeting up with you, which I think is going to be really fun for us to do another episode together and um, do a little bit more of this work-life balance that we, we uh, I guess, are doing pretty well. Um,
0: yeah, what, what's another 1,000 miles for me? I've already put on 5,000 miles in the last two weeks.
1: Right. For <laughs> my car. So I, I think the thing that would be most interesting to our listeners that I'm kind of um, dealing with today is that um my son jordan got a job um in his field and uh was waiting for the job to begin and went in for his first day and uh you know started in the morning was doing his training sat down to have his lunch in the lunch area and the woman who hired him came in and said i'm really sorry to have to tell you this but i can't hire you if you're not vaccinated and um you know, they had had a conversation about the natural immunity, and um, she said, "Don't worry, we'll work it out." So he just figured that you know he would wear a mask or test or you know whatever they felt like they needed to do. So he had he had to pack up his stuff on his first day and leave in front of his coworkers that he just met, like you know, with his tail between his legs. Basically, um, I can't even imagine how uncomfortable that was for him. Um, so I went and picked him up, and you know he had already thought about the fact that if it, if, you know, for him, if the vaccine got in his way of moving forward, he was going to take it. He was in the military before he's had vaccines, you know, he's an adult. So he gets to make that decision. But of course, as his mom of someone who's done a lot of research and has concerns about side effects and has lost a child in the recent past, you know, it was very triggering for me. And, um, I reached out to, to Stu and, uh, you know, asked his opinion about which vaccine he thought and, um, all, you know, Jordan's research and, and what Stu was saying led to the Johnson and Johnson, which is a one dose. Um, so we were able to get it the same day. Uh, he was, he went in and was out with, he had to wait 15 minutes to see if there were any reactions and, he literally was in there for 15 minutes. That's how like fast the process went. He said he walked in and they did it like almost immediately. Um, and uh, no real side effects the first day. And then the next morning, he was very lethargic, very achy. Um, and he was sitting outside, kind of like just sitting in the sunshine as we were packing up. And I just looked out at the window at him and I thought, this is so upsetting. That we took a totally healthy guy that already went through three weeks of dealing with this has natural immunity. And I'm looking at him and he's sick. He's sick from getting this injection, you know, and hopefully he won't have any big side effects. I think the statistics that I read was like 1.3%, um, you know, probably similar statistic to what we're thinking about of severe COVID uh, reactions. You know, if you get sick with COVID, which he fought, his immunity fought wonderfully. Um, But, you know, it's just been so upsetting to me that there's no acknowledgement of natural immunity. You know, like let's not even talk about the debate about whether or not this vaccine is actually like going to make the impact that we're hoping that, you know, not we, but the powers that be are hoping it will do, but you know the fact that we are completely ignoring that someone has natural immunity and and injecting them with something that has side effects for what, like just to check a box, just because you know it's like like we've totally forgotten that there is such a thing as natural immunity and um, because the whole that's thing, not like, going to be considered at all.
0: Liz, the whole thing isn't about health.
1: I know. I just am dealing with it personally right now as we speak and being a mom and being concerned and you I know, know, you,
0: you texted yeah. me and you said, I'm so angry. Yeah. Those three words you texted me, you know, yeah. I, I, last week I spoke, well, it'll be a couple of weeks now. I spoke about the AMA and hopefully people listened to that and got a little insight into what the AMA really is about because I could do a, I could do a, update on the, the AMA shenanigans every, every time, I, every day, not just every, every week. But the AMA recently had a, uh, they filed an amicus brief supporting something called the Minor Consent Act, which is basically, the, the AMA thinks that it's, in a unified voice is speaking for all doctors, thinking that that minors should be able to decide on vaccines without their parental consent. And this is the kind of insanity that that leads to um, a thought that I've had recently about um, the real problem is not your skepticism or my skepticism, Bliss. Uh The real problem is their certainty. Their certainty is the problem that we have to deal with. Because it's normal to be skeptical. Every scientist should be skeptical. The fact that they're not skeptical is insane. And They don't look at the cost-benefit analysis of this. This is the first time I can think of something where they've, well, no, it's not the first time because in, our own, in my own profession, sometimes they talk about you know, the 39-week rule and inducing everybody, and you know just getting the baby in the bassinet is a failure, once again, to look at the cost-benefit analysis when you make a decision. But when government agencies or organizations make a decision, it should be based on cost-benefit like the perfect example is driving all right we know that when people get on the on the highway some people are going to die if we want to have zero deaths we would stop people from driving or we would lower the speed limit to 20 miles an hour mm-hmm. right and then we could do that but the cost benefit analysis tells us that that doesn't make sense because then commerce would come to a halt and everything else would it would it would screw up everything so we make a decision that yes we're going to lose a certain number of lives probably a lot of lives by allowing the speed limit to be 65 or 75 miles an hour wherever you are um, but that's that's the analysis that we make and weigh risks and benefits this is how logical people come to decisions about their daily lives. you know if I stay home today I, I'll be safe I won't get you know, I won't you know but I won't make any money and I won't be able to buy groceries and so you make a decision. I better get up and get my car and go and do my stuff. That's how we we. This thing has thrown everything out the window, because I, I still remember Governor Cuomo saying, former Governor Cuomo saying um, that if we even save one life, I'll be uh, everything I do saves but one life, I'll be happy. This is idiotic thinking, and they're they it's irrational, all right, and you know to avoid a devastating toll from. from from the virus, they're willing to have a devastating toll from all the other things because of their handling of the virus. Giving a vaccine to somebody who has recovered from COVID and is young and has strong immunity is as insane as, you know, know, giving a loaded gun to a two-year-old. Here, Johnny, play with this. It's stupid. No one would do it. Yeah. No one would. No one has ever done it, and that's why I say it's not about health and it's not about science. The problem is that they're all they're all in right now. The uh, the Fauci people and the government people and the pharmaceutical industry they're all in on this thing, and or the One World Order people, whoever you want to talk about it, they're all in, and it's it's like you could wave paper after paper after paper of truth in front of their face, it wouldn't make any
1: difference. Which again, it feels so similar to the fight that we've been doing for um, changing the way that maternity is handled. Like How long have we had statistics that have said that we're doing terrible job and how little has that marker actually moved to have more people um, birthing outside of the hospital. And no, they
0: double. They double down on more interventions. They double down on on intervening even more. Not going the right way. They're going. The, they go the wrong way. You know, it's kind of like in the in the school system. Um, you know, we spend more per, per pupil than any other nation in the world. I think maybe, but one. All right. So I want to be accurate. All right. So we and we're doing terribly. So what's the solution of these people? Spend more money. That's the definition of insanity yet they're yeah. running the country. How is that? It's just, it, it's inconceivable to me. I think this podcast is going to come out just before the recall election here in California. Mm-hmm. And I hope that people, whether no matter what political party you, you, you want, something has to stop. And the only way to stop what's going on in my state is to get a change, at least at the at the top and see what happens. So Again, I feel it's my civic duty to tell people who live in California, you probably already voted by now, um, is to uh, vote yes on the recall. I don't care who you vote for in the second part, but just vote yes on the recall and get this guy out of there. All right.
1: Um, You mentioned Fauci, and it made me uh, think about, I just wanted (laughs) to also say that um, Robert F. Kennedy um, uh, wrote a book, it's called The Real Anthony Fauci. Yep. Yeah. Um, and if you want to learn more about, um, w- you know, what might be going on behind the scenes, it says uh, exposing the scandalous lies behind the myth. So I just kind of want to do a shout out about that book. I ha- I haven't gotten it yet. I was hoping I could do an audio book, but of course it's not on Audible. It wouldn't be on Audible.
0: <laughs> uh, so
1: um, yeah. No, is it out?
0: Is it out yet?
1: I don't uh, You can get a copy.
0: Yeah. I think it's advanced. I, I, yeah. Okay. So I think you can. Okay. So then it is out. Yeah. Del yeah. Bigtree interviewed him on his uh, high wire show this week. So people can listen for 20 minutes. He talks to Robert Kennedy about
1: his yeah, I, Robert Kennedy has been talking about vaccine injuries for a long, long, long time and has a lot of a wealth of information that goes way back. Um, so this is not a new thing for him to be talking about vaccines
0: yeah i mentioned him i got to hear him speak at the physicians for informed consent meeting a couple of years ago we discussed it on the podcast and yeah. and he was shocked at all these these edicts about vaccine mandates and stuff are coming from democrats and it's like i just wanted to I, I told i said at the time i wanted to walk up to him and slap him in the face and just say wake up okay this is where it's coming from this is where it's coming from like ah. all right all right um, moving on speaking speaking of uh of Removal of presidents and stuff like that. Um, do you know what's going on with Mana? Have you heard? No, I anything? don't.
1: Okay, I don't.
0: I just got an email. I got an email that's uh, that you know they they've recalled the president um, of Mana. There's a, a whole upheaval going on. I have no nothing about it. I thought you might know. So, so if any of our listeners know and they want to send us a, a,
1: I'll, a I'll do some research.
0: I message because that, that was weird. It was it's it's very. Um, something big went on, something big happened there. And I have no idea what is yeah. there? There was even talk about maybe just disbanding MANA altogether?
1: Yeah, uh, I know there's been a lot going on having to do with the racial disparity conversations and how manna is not addressing it. And um, that's been going on for a long time. So I would assume it has something to do with that, but I'll look, I'll look more into it.
0: Before we get to a couple letters and then we get to our topic of the day. I think we mentioned, you and I mentioned that uh, I mentioned to you, the new England journals a story about miscarriage. We didn't get to talk about that the last podcast, did we? No. Okay. So from what I can tell, and again, I'm waiting for further information from the New England Journal, but the New England Journal put out a paper uh, a couple of weeks ago. I guess this was, yeah, no, it's a couple months ago, actually, where they came out showing that the vaccine, um, they studied it in pregnant women, and they found that the miscarriage rate was only 12.6% which is well within the normal range for miscarriage. And so they concluded that the vaccine doesn't cause miscarriage. But they, how this gets through either peer review or, or the, all the authors on the paper, they all thought this was a good idea and they didn't look at the data clearly because the data is quite confusing because they had 827 women, pregnant women in the study and they had 104 miscarriages.
1: And, and which vaccine is it all it's or
0: Pfizer? This was the oh, Pfizer okay. vaccine, the okay. mRNA Pfizer biotech MRNA vaccine. Mm-hmm. All right. So 104 out of 827 is 12.6%. All right. Then you read the fine print and they have like little asterisks after things. And you've got to go down and look into the index and you read what it says. And it says that of the 827 women who got the vaccine in pregnancy, 700 of them got 700 of them got it in the third trimester. But they're right. talking about a 12.6% miscarriage rate in the first trimester. Right. So how do you include 700 women in the study for first trimester miscarriage who didn't get the vaccine until the third trimester? Right. So if you take out the 700 women, then it's 104 out of 127, and it's 82%. The miscarriage rate was 82% of women who got it in the first trimester.
1: Which is a great increase over what we would normally it's
0: probably four to five times the, the risk of, of normal which is around 20 to 25 percent maybe depending on 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 which data you're looking at so I mean this is a glaring error that I have not seen a correction from the New England journal. I haven't seen a retraction or anything but it just shows that some that ideology right now is trumping all reason. There can be well, more an ag- than re- and,
1: and an agenda.
0: Well, that's, yeah, agenda and ideology, I, I put them together, but, mm-hmm. but that, that nobody caught this or that they caught this and they ignored it anyway is unconscionable for something of the quality of the New England Journal of Medicine. Um, they're trying to prove a point that vaccines are safe and they want everyone to take them, so they come out with the data that says, oh, it's see how it's safe it is. But then if you actually analyze the data, you find, well, wait a minute, this is crazy.
1: Did you uh-huh. analyze that too, or was it
0: somebody no, else? No, um, I, I saw it on the internet, and I and I looked at it myself, and then I talked about it with actually with Dell at dinner, and he said that he's waiting. He he's he said he he's going to hold off on making final judgment on that because they're supposedly going to come out with some reasoning. The authors of the paper were going to come out with some explanation that supposedly made sense, but I have not seen any sort of correction or anything. But just looking at the numbers there, you cannot include 700 women out of your 827 women in your first trimester miscarriage statistics who didn't get the vaccine till the third trimester. It's just, ah. Okay. Yeah. All right, can we do a couple letters?
1: Yeah, and I haven't read a, um, a review in a while, so.
0: Well, a lot of the letters say good things about us, so that, that let's use those. Okay, great. <laughs> All right, here go the glasses, okay. All right, so this is from uh, Whitney about Routine Labs. She has a question or a comment. First off, I love the podcast. I'm a mom of two with, I would say, two typical hospital births with interventions all stemming from Pitocin, early uh, rupture of membranes with the first birth and 41-week induction with the second. I've learned so much from you and Bliss. We are planning for our third pregnancy and I know I want a different experience. Unfortunately, I do not have any midwives in my area in Iowa. I am out of distance for any midwives to come to my house for a home birth. I just listened to the GBS podcast. Would you and Bliss consider doing a podcast on all routine testing that goes on at prenatal appointments and give listeners true informed consent on both sides? For example, the pregnancy panel at the first appointment I've gotten convinced two times, I've gotten... Oh, they convinced me for two times that I have to get swabbed for sexually transmitted diseases, even though my husband and I are each... Others only partners ever. I expressed my concerns and basically told it's what we have to do, even though I know you don't have it. That's what doctors say. Our I just midwives. wondered if, what
1: those were her midwives that said that,
0: or yeah, or, or her doc, yeah, her midwives or her doctors. Mm-hmm. I wondered if you could share your thoughts on all these routine prenatal tests, what it looks like to decline and just true informed consent, because I feel like personally, I do not get both sides shared with me. And frankly, I think many women don't even have an idea what they're getting tested for and why. <laughs> you and I have said that so many times. So, you know, I just responded to her really briefly. And I said, we can certainly discuss this topic and we can do it for a couple minutes. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time today. Oh, yeah,
1: it. I thought I thought it would actually make a really good podcast, a whole podcast, but you can address it quickly. But I'll just say
0: I said in a nutshell, I could say some of the tests are done because if not on the client. Sh- on the chart, hospital nurses and pediatricians often overreact. So, we are doing many of these tests to appease the system and avoid parents having to argue about things in the hospital, not because they are always medically indicated. The medical model does not allow for the individualization of care. In simple terms, it sucks, but I know, but until we can invoke a sea change, it seems to be the more hassle free route. You are very wise to ask the question. Yes. Right. Keep asking questions. We'll do that sometime. The next letter is actually from uh, Bailey. And I don't know where Bailey is from, but maybe it says it here someplace. Hello, I love the way you look at birth and your podcast. I've listened to almost all the episodes. I trust your opinion and research. And I'm wondering if you can point me to any sources talking about inducing because of small baby. (laughs) I think we've talked a little bit about growth restriction before. My due date is Friday. But, I mean, this is and this is a week old, so she's delivered by now. And at my appointment yesterday, my medwife, she, she actually types out medwife, yep. said she didn't see the growth she would like in my baby via ultrasound from last week to this week. So you know what I'm going to say about that in a second. Yep. She brought up a stillbirth since I'm almost 40 weeks. She brought up stillbirth. Yeah. And I ha- ended up having a foley bulb place to try to induce. I'm 21 hours into my foley. She's typing me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I had some cramping and contractions, but it have not dilated enough for it to fall out. For reference, I'm a small person, five foot one, and I've only gained 15 pounds. I also had a non-stress test done yesterday and the week previously, and both looked great. Not sure what to do since it's too late in the game to get a second opinion. I do not want to be induced because of the risks that, bring, that brings, but when she brought up the stillbirth, I panicked. Got that? Yeah. Okay, so I just said, Bailey, sorry you are in this iatrogenic pickle. That's my new, my new term. <laughs> <laughs> you understand I can only give general information not specific to you since I'm not a consultant. Growth is not something that can be measured in a week at term. That's important to know. The error of a scan at, at term is plus or minus two to three weeks. So doing a scan a week apart and saying that the baby isn't growing is completely unscientific. You can look at the biophysical profile and the fluid levels and stuff, but the weight and the measurements of the baby have such error in them that measuring them a week apart makes no scientific sense. You could actually get the baby to be smaller a week from the previous ultrasound, and then what are you going to say the baby's actually shrinking? I don't think you can say that. So um, (laughs) the variability of any term scan is plus or minus two to three weeks. So change or no change in growth is not significant. Normal biophysical profile is reassuring, making the risk of stillbirth minuscule when a biophysical profile is normal. I don't know what else to tell you. You are not alone in being funneled into the path of interventions. It's usually never too late to get a second opinion from an independent practitioner, but with a Foley balloon already placed, you're pretty (laughs) stuck. (laughs) Oh, God. Uh,
1: Yeah. That was that. That's amazing Um, that she was writing to you while she had it in.
0: Well, she had a lot of time to sit and And think and worry.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to hear from Bailey to find out how, how it went, because, you know, when you're worried and fearful like that and they're intervening when your cervix isn't ready and stuff and you know, how big was the baby? And I'd like to know these sorts of things.
1: Yeah. Um, Follow up. It
0: it does help to give us a general framework uh, from which to give, our, you know, have our discussions and, uh, you know, I, as I said before, the advice that we give, uh, I am a medical doctor, so I am giving medical advice, but I'm not giving specific medical advice that I can't do without a full consult and physical exam and that sort of thing it would be inappropriate, but I'm hoping that what we talk about this, you and I gets people stirred up enough to, to challenge people that tell them this rot that they're hearing. Okay. Um, real brief one. Hello. Um, this is from Jane in Northern Ireland. I'm just listening cool. to your, I'm birthing. I'm listening to your birthing instincts podcast number 222. two. Didn't there used to be a TV show called that room room 222. I think I don't yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I think there was, and you've just mentioned the topic of type one diabetes in hospital birth. I would love to hear a whole episode about that. Okay. At some point we will do that. I'm listening from Northern Ireland. I'm currently 29 weeks 28 years old, 17 years, type 1 diabetic, and my pregnancy blood sugar control has been the best of my life. It couldn't be better, but I'm fighting for a home birth whilst being threatened and scaremongered into a hospital birth. But I'm doing so much research, I should be qualified by this point. I know all the risks and benefits. I have hired a doula to support me and my husband. I would like to find a home birth midwife for that extra level of confidence and support. Not sure that will happen. Anyway, looking forward to hearing that potential episode. Um, what I told, what I did for Jane is, I contacted a couple of my type one diabetics who've had home births,
1: cool.
0: and they both agreed they'd be thrilled to talk to her, and I connected them. So right. I have no idea what's happened, but I'm really grateful to my trusted families who have volunteered to be on my twins moms list or my twins or my breech moms list or my VBAC moms list, and now I've got my mom diet, you know, my type one diabetic mom's list. So, um, they at least can give them some information on how well it went and how, what, what, were there any complications and what we did about, you know, worrying about the baby's blood sugar afterwards and stuff. And if the mother's in really good control. And again, the last thing I'll say about that is because of the way we monitor diabetics now with the implants that they have, we have real time knowledge of their blood sugar. It's not like we have to stick their finger and send it down to the lab and wait 15 minutes to get a result back. Um, We know what their blood sugar is doing. And then they have these insulin pumps in them too. So you can just dial up or dial down on the insulin pump. It doesn't require an IV drip, which is how I was trained when you have to have an IV insulin drip going on a diabetic and everybody's, a labor is just a labor. And if the baby has issues afterwards, we're prepared to deal with that. Yeah, A mother laboring is just a mother laboring. And you can keep an eye on her and develop, prevent her from getting really high blood sugars or developing ketoacidosis or the things that we used to worry about when we didn't really have a good handle on, on insulin and, and blood sugar control. Okay, uh, last one. And this is a, this is a bit of an a important one for me because it's about twins and it's it could also be considered my dumb doctor dogma segment. This is from Megan in the UK. Kemi Johnson recommended I get in touch with you. I'm a monochorionic diamniotic twins. I'm 33 weeks now. All's well with the pregnancy so far. I've had four beautiful natural home births with single babies before. So you know what her success rate would be, right?
1: Yeah, high. Very high. (laughs) even
0: higher. This time around, as it's monochorionic diamniotic twins, it seems so medicalized. The obstetrician wants to do the following interventions and I'd like to know if they're actually 100% necessary or not. I would just say in general, nothing is usually 100% necessary. It's all really, in our model, what we say is informed consent model, right, Bliss? We we give people information and, and 100% of people will never always choose the same thing.
1: Never always, <laughs> 100% will never, never say, always. I
0: never say always, but you can say <laughs> them together. <laughs> Okay. So her doctor wants to induce her at 36 weeks, clamp the cord of the first baby straight away. When the first baby is born, scan me and hold my tummy in place to stabilize the lie of the second baby. This is one intervention that she was really adamant about doing. Give a Pitocin drip to restart my contractions, break my waters. The obstetrician is keen that the second baby is born within half an hour of the first. I wonder why she says that because you know that's My feeling a little bit, too, is that baby should be born 30, 45 minutes. Otherwise, we see higher rates of postpartum hemorrhage and fetal acidosis. But I wonder what her reasoning is. Um, But what if it's not? How long is it okay to wait, provided that we're all well? I've never had the injection to deliver the placenta before, but this time the obstetrician is keen me to have it due to the large placental site and risk of bleeding. I feel like I don't want any of these interventions. I like to go into spontaneous labor. I'd like to deliver the first baby in the normal way, then have a moment to greet my new baby and feed him, perhaps staying on my knees. And so gravity helped bring the second baby down. Anyway, she goes on to talk about what she would like. And so I responded to her. Um, and I said, hi, Megan, and preemptive congratulations on the twins. It appears that your twins have no signs of twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome. And for my... Con- and, and for my comments, I am presuming that all else is well and their growth with, it, with their growth and with your health. Just know that it is not proper for me to give specific advice. I've started adding that sentence in to everybody because otherwise people think that I'm giving them advice. With healthy twins, there's almost no reason to induce based solely on dates. Induction should require a true obstetrical indication and a conversation regarding the actual risks and benefits should precede any intervention. I don't know how many times you and I have said that, Bliss. We should just okay. get, t- we should get tattooed.
1: <laughs> not on my forehead, thanks. <laughs>
0: okay. Many doctors have heard that there's a rising stillbirth rate after 36 weeks. While that is true for all pregnancies, just not, not just twins, in order to make a decision, you should find out what the actual rise is, not relative rise. Most doctors don't know. With no evidence of TTTS, I don't understand the need for immediate cord clamping. It sounds as if your doctor is not comfortable with a second twin in any other position than head down. Not knowing how to do a breech extraction can be scary for doctors. You should ask your doctor about this. Starting Pitocin to bring on contractions is not usually necessary, only if much time passes. Same with breaking waters, only if baby needs to come out. But fast interventions between twins is how many doctors are trained, and we only know what we know. I've said before that the reason in the hospital that they have this immediately go up and break the bag of the second twin and stuff like that is because they have 16 people standing around waiting. In the operating room, you have anesthesia standing by, you have nurses standing by, you have NICU team standing by, and they're not going to—they're they, going to start to chomp at the bit if it's thirty minutes, forty minutes, an hour go by. So,
1: yeah, everybody gets nervous. It's the same with the placenta with the singleton in the hospital. If the placenta is not out in thirty minutes, you know something's wrong, which is not necessarily true of what we see outside of the hospital. Right. 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 Right.
0: I've also found that going beyond thirty, to minutes with twins leads to higher rates of twin B needing assistance in, in postpartum hemorrhage. We said that active management of the third stage by giving a shot of Pitocin after baby B is born is pretty common with twins. It's just trying to lower blood loss. We discuss ahead of time and the decision is usually clinical one based on history and such. You have, the right, you have to decide which battles to fight. Lastly, you are so right about mindset. Being calm and confident with a good support team is vital. Being surrounded by nervous nurses and doctors and family members for that matter is never good. I can only tell you I have great success with multiparous women having unfettered twin births out of the hospital. You will do great. It's good to discuss all these things ahead of time as you are doing. Hospitals are generally not nurturing places but often moms are stuck being there. I hope it works out for you. I'm sure we both wish you had other options.
1: Yeah, great letter. You know what it made me think about? As I was coming out of um, Yosemite I was going along the Merced River in Hope, and I really wanted to pull over and stop by the river before I didn't have an opportunity anymore. But there was a lot of construction and there wasn't really any turnouts until right before I was going to go up the mountain. Um, There was this little information center and a very steep driveway to go down and park like a little parking lot by the river. And so I kind of tried to see if I could figure out how to do it on this windy road by myself. And. I decided to just pull up next to the information center that was closed and a guy comes out and I said, oh, is it okay if I park here? It's a pretty steep driveway. He said, I've seen people do it before, but I wouldn't park there because you would not believe the gruesome things that I have seen happen around this corner. And so I had to sit there and think about, was I willing to take the risk? And so I get it. I had this moment where I was like, "Ah, oh, is this really dumb? You know, something could happen. You know, maybe I should just move on. And I went, I decided I would go down to the river for a few minutes and I sat there and I really thought about it. And what ultimately ended up happening is I had to get myself into this mindset where I said, if it happens, it happens. The likelihood that someone's going to come around the corner and destroy hope <laughs> Um, is a small percentage and I'm going to sit here and I'm going to let go of the fear and I'm going to sit by the river and take a few minutes. Now I could have decided that it wasn't worth the risk and move on. Um, but I, I know those moments because of this journey that I've been on, I've, I've talked about it a couple of times in my Instagram of like having to make that decision for yourself of like, is it worth the risk? Um, and this could be about, covid this could be about vaccines this could be about you know interventions with the twins having a home birth you know we all deal with these moments where we have to make these decisions and i really get it because i did in my body have to make a decision of like whether or not i was willing to do that and you know there's like you were saying earlier there's a risk in everything there's a risk in getting in your car and driving and some of those risks we decide are okay and other ones we don't and and yeah, you know, you have to decide whether or not you want to control all outcomes. And sometimes even when going to control those outcomes with all of those interventions that they were just talking about with twins, um, it's not, it's not the only way to see things. And I think that that's an important part of, of our podcast is to try and give people, a different perspective of that. That is not the only way to do things. And I really do. I, I was thinking about it as you were reading that. I really do want to find a midwife to come on the podcast that has a lot of experience with twins, just to hear a midwifery perspective of, of you know, not um, maybe doing management of the second twin, um, because I, twins are a variation of normal that have been happening forever as long as we've been having babies people had twins you know and um so that's what i want to say about that
0: you know what's really weird last night i had a dream of that i delivered triplets Oh, really at home yeah um i don't know why it's weird it was just it just came to me while you're talking about that i i i i don't usually remember my dreams when i woke up but i remember this one and one of the babies was was the baby that came out second was smaller and actually uh, like premature but the other mm. two were term, so it's like that's not possible. <laughs> so, dream world, yeah. It was a, it was a weird dream world. But what you what you were talking about is is summarizes sort of what we just talked about earlier. Is that you made your own cost benefit analysis, right? Uh, whether to park your car there or not,
1: right? And he didn't <laughs> force me. He let me decide. He gave me informed consent and let me decide for myself. And, and,
0: and, and Jordan had to make a tough cost benefit yeah. analysis decision for himself.
1: Yeah. In an ideal
0: world he and his fellow coworkers would have said to the management of that, bu- that business, go screw yourself and walked out, but. He needs a job. He needs a job. And there's no, when you're, when you're alone, you're vulnerable. Yeah. And I I have, I, I, you know, I took, when I was hiking, I was hiking a lot on this trip. And the last couple of days of hiking, you know, I, I had noticed a lot of beetles and caterpillars, you know, and you know, crossing the trail by themselves, you know, they're, and they're not moving very fast. So they they look to me like they're extremely vulnerable to a lizard or to a to a bird or something coming down. And then as you're walking, especially in the desert, you see lots of ant hills, and you see the ants pouring in and pouring out, like really a lot. I took a video of it. So and. And they're all. Some of them are carrying little pieces of sand or little something out. Another one are going in, and they're they're all moving around each other, and they're not bumping into each other, and they're not getting mad at each other. No ant is saying, "I think I'll take the day off today. I'm waiting for my uh, social security check or something like that." They 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 work. They're in, in cooperatively. They work together. And if I were a predator, who would I be more uh, likely to go after? This. A unit of ants working together or this isolated beetle or caterpillar walking across or crawling across the trail. I mean that's a sitting duck. Yeah. We as individuals are sitting ducks. When we get people together, it's going to be, you know, we may all have we all suffer some losses, but at least we have a possibility of making making a difference. You know, when you get when you get an organization like I've already seen some of these hospitals and Fraternal Order Police Departments and Fire Departments, their their unions are getting the people together and saying no to the vaccine mandate.
1: Yeah, good. But an
0: individual like Jordan or me or you, well, I don't, I mean, I don't, if I worked at an institution, I would have to have that, face that big decision myself as well. And, um, you know, I don't know what I would do. I'm lucky right now because I still can stand up, but at some point, I've already said this before, I, I, I will not surprise me if we don't get a change, a sea change in government soon, that um, the medical board will be mandating that in order to renew your license, you have to be vaccinated. Right. Right. OK. So on that note, because these are all life. Issues, right. Life work issues, mm-hmm. work life balance issues. Um, why don't you take it away and, and start?
1: Well, we were asked, um, you know, we've been fielding for, um, topics for a while. And so I've just been trying to get down these. And I thought while we, you were, an, you were on vacation and I was, you know, off doing my thing, it would be a good time to talk about work-life balance. So one of the questions that was asked was how did I juggle three kids and a career and what compromises did I make or not make? And the other one was about burnout in birth work. Um, so you know, I think we've talked about this before, but it's interesting today. Um, I have a a group of midwives that I have been talking to since I was a student. And, um, one of them had, um, a transport and a challenging outcome with the baby. Um, and she's, you know, feeling really she asked me point blank today. She's like, Liz, how did you find joy in work with everything that you were going through? Like, how did you do it? And um, I have no idea. You know, I don't know where that came from to be able to continue to work and have the busiest year that I've ever had after the passing of my daughter. Um, But I love my clients and I love the work and it's not just work. And I think that for me, as a, as a midwife, that is the thing that has me want to be able to make those sacrifices is that it feels like my path. It feels like what I'm supposed to be doing here on the planet. And I think if you're doing it as a job, um, and, and to make money, those the challenging aspects of our job, like being on call 24 seven, getting woken up, getting, taking text messages all the time, not being able to like take off for, you know, a few days without having to take six weeks off. You know, there's so many things that make it very challenging in our, in our career for people who it's not a passion. And I think that that, first of all, if you're going to do this work, I think it really does have to be a passion because otherwise it will lead to burnout very quickly. Um, and so I think that what work-life balance looks like for everybody is different, you know? Like for some people, they need to be able to travel. They need to be able to have time where they get away and they travel. For some people, they need to be able to um Spend more time with their families. Some people need to be able to get more sleep, um, or or be able to like take care of their bodies in a way that really feeds their soul, you know. Um, so I think Stu and I can speak specifically about what is important to us. Um, but I think it really is individual for each person. Um, and right now I'm taking a large chunk of time off um, for a very specific reason, but I know. In order to sustain myself over time, I have to take two months off a year. So in, in different parts of the year, I need to take um, one month off and then you know work for several months and then take another month off so that I, I don't need a whole month off. I really just need time to be able to travel, right? But wow. in order to do that with our work, we have to stop taking clients um, for five weeks, really. Um, because that's the due window, so you would need to right. have a five-week window where you don't have anybody within their dates. Or this is another way that some people do work-life balance is they have a partner, yeah. so that you can. I was, take I was thinking that whole time.
0: That that's what you were going to come up with is that yeah that there's there there are pros and cons to being solo, and there are pros and cons to having a partner.
1: Yeah. And for some people, they know that they want to work with another person, be able to take off call time in terms of like answering questions and, you know, all of that, because when you're solo, you're on, not just on call 24 seven, but you are always constantly getting questions and, uh, requests and, and, you know, it's, it's, I think you don't really understand that until you're a primary provider who's, who's doing it all on your own as a student or someone who's thinking about becoming a midwife or an OB. I don't think you really understand the like constant having to kind of have your brain in work mode, you know, that extra glass of wine or, you know, sleeping in or, you know, those things. It's constantly having to make yourself ready and available not just for birds, but if someone, you know, has an emotional thing that's going on and they give you a call and you need to like switch from watching a show with your family to like being a counselor in, you know, it's like a 30 second (laughs) pivot. Right. Um, that takes a lot.
0: Yeah. I would add that, that on my travels the last few weeks, um, I realize that, I, that as long as I have a phone in my pocket, yeah. right, which I actually, I do it because I like to count my steps. It's sort of an OCD thing. I like to see how far I went today and that sort of thing. Yeah. So, um, but I don't answer texts, but usually even in the, when I'm in the middle of the Mojave Desert at Joshua Tree, or I'm, I, I'm in the uh, um, uh, Chihuahuan Desert in New Mexico, or the Sonoran Desert in Arizona, and I'm in the middle of a trail, and I'm four miles in. Um, you know, Sometimes you'll have these windows of reception, and you'll see that you get a text or two, and you don't look at them. I'm not, you know, but when I get back to my car, I hydrate myself up. I you know, take off my sweaty shirt. I put on another shirt. I eat a little, um, some, you know, some protein, some beef jerky or something. And then I turn on the air conditioner in my car, and then I sit and look at my messages and catch up. I'm never away from that. The number one thing I'm getting, you're right, you get... You get things about pregnancy but the number one thing i'm getting nowadays is what to do about the vaccine and the vaccine issue um those sorts of questions so i was exposed to this what do i do with this i'm I, you know i want to i want to get ivermectin but my this guy won't have it get it for me what can you do can you help me all these sorts of things are happening and you're right you can never get away with it. but that's the life that i've chosen because i don't have to do this i don't have i don't have to but I, you know, as I talk to people on the road and I, I meet strangers and they all find out what I do. And then they all, suddenly I know all about their eccentrical histories of their families because <laughs> they immediately start talking about it. But I realized that, that if I were to stop doing what I'm doing, there's no one else coming along. I mean, there's, there's people, there's Victoria who's in our, in our Southern California area, but she's, she's a unicorn as well. I mean, there are there, people just don't want to do this sort of thing. They're afraid of it. They're not trained for it. So when I when I stop doing it there's no one else to do it that's a little bit of a burden that I carry um, because I I'm dedicated to what I do I really love what I do I just it, it it does it does destroy your social life a bit and it does interrupt things and it does you know you go to sleep every night not knowing if you're going to be getting up or not but I would say that the 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 attraction for me I could I could relate to a a, uh, a book, a short little book I read years ago, and I think I've mentioned it on the podcast before, and that's uh, Victor Frankl's uh, A Man Search for uh, Meaning. And um, uh, other than food and water, there's no greater need than having meaning in your life. And I'm lucky, and you are lucky.
1: Yeah.
0: Because we have a career where we're doing something that we find meaning in. There are people who find meaning in, you know, working at the DMV. I'm sure they find meaning in it or something like that. But it's not the same. I, I, at least it, maybe it's for them, and that's fine. But for the, the I, I would I would die working a nine to five desk job. Yeah. <laughs> I would I would find myself to feel totally totally wasted. Yeah. So my life my life balance is um, that work is my life. And I think it's important to keep that in mind that it isn't work or life. It's life and work are can be united in one, if you can. And just figuring your path may take you decades. It may take you may never figure it out. I know a lot of people like my student now, Alyssa, who. You know maybe always wanted to do something like this but she didn't start doing this until she was in her late 40s i think and and then there are other people who see their you know sibling being born when they're seven years old and they have they know from that point on that they they want to this is what they want to do um one of the things we're going to talk about in a future podcast is that as you mentioned in the last one was licensing or not licensing and the path that's being taken to be taken but that's not for today but that also comes into the, the work-life balance because there are certain things that you and I can do and there are certain things you and I can't do because we're licensed. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it really does come into play when you think about you know, how you want to set up your life, how you want to set up your practice. Um, I would love to be able to, to help so many more people it just it, uh, there isn't enough hours in the day and enough energy in my body to do all the things that I that I want to do. So I I have to turn things down. I have to charge you know I charge a fairly hefty fee for what I do. Um, because I, I I I can only do so many. Right. And then like you, I need a break every now and then. And I, my only way to get a break, like you have, is to not take anybody for six. We have a six week window where I have nobody to do so I can have three or four weeks in the middle of that to get away because otherwise I've had people who, you know, when I have a family event back in Minnesota, who I'm telling them I'm going away for 36 hours and they're, they're, they get upset with me. And that hurts me because my job is not to get them upset, but for, for them not, you know, for them to not understand that I have to have that balance is,
1: is very stressful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do want to address the, you know, the question of being a single mom and, um, you know, balancing working and raising children, um, traditionally as, as midwives, you know, we were the, we were the wise women. We were the, the ones who were in the village who had, who had had their babies, who had, who had walked this path before, who had had, who held the body of knowledge about birth and children and medicine a lot of time we were the medicine women as well so, um, wow. yeah and um depends if you're a medwife or not right um and so I, I i'm not a fan of uh pursuing this career full time with little children and you know everybody has to do what works for them but i i did not see that that was going to be in the best interest of my children um to be gone because sometimes you're gone a lot um you know you don't know how long a birth is going to last or if you're going to have a pile up yep. and um you know some some families have a dad who stays at home and so that is a different situation but to um you know to really consider you know how that's going to be with small children and being on call i think is really important as you're starting this career um, or this passion to know that it's something that's always, if it's your passion, it's always going to be there. And for me, I waited a long time to step into the role as primary provider, care provider, and just supported um, midwives and and people like Dr. Stu. Um, uh, And then I, I knew, I knew when the time was right for me to step onto the path and my kids were older at the time. So if I needed to be away, you know, overnight or something like that, that they were able to take care of themselves enough, um, to be able to get to school and feed themselves. And, you know, I wasn't like worried about, uh, finding care for them. Um, but it, I look back at, you know, the years and the sacrifices that I made in, in, uh, building the sanctuary and, you know, owning your own business is different than, um, what it's like to be a care provider and being on call. But I look back at that time and I, I wish I had spent more time with my children. You know, I wish that I hadn't necessarily, yeah, yeah, made all those sacrifices, um, for a business that's not even any, it's not here anymore. Um, so I would caution those of you who have young children, um, not to necessarily not, follow the path. But I think, um, you know, finding ways to be involved in birth work, but not have to sacrifice that time with your family until they're a little bit older. Because I feel like now, you know, I don't even sleep that much anymore just because of menopause and all of that. So getting up in the middle of the night, you know, last night I wasn't on call or anything, but I was up at three o'clock in the morning listening to Russell Brand and, and, uh, you know, Alan Watts and other people that are just interesting to me, I'd rather get up and go to a birth, you know, I would, I would love to be in the birth room at those times. So, um, it just, it's interesting how a lot of people talk about like losing sleep or not, or getting woken up is one of the hardest parts for them. And for me, I don't know about for you, Stu, but for me, it doesn't, it's not really, it doesn't, it's not a hard thing for me.
0: It, it, it's the harder thing for me is is knowing every time I go to bed that I might be woken up. It's yeah. I don't have any trouble being woken up. Yeah, and I, I'm excited when I am woken up. Um, yeah. because really, what I know because I work with a great team is I know that when I get to the birth, um, generally we'll set up, we'll do all our things, and then and then I have a great team. So what do I do? You know what I do?
1: <laughs> he goes and chills on the couch with his headphones. That's right.
0: And I sometimes I'll I'll be sawing logs. Uh-huh. Or, you know, for two hours or three hours, just because there's nothing for me to do once I'm there. And my presence there uh, makes the family comfortable, makes my team comfortable. It makes me comfortable. I, I don't do well when I know someone's in labor and I'm still home, but I know it's too early to go sometimes. So I, but I, but I, uh, and it's hard for me to go to sleep when I you know somebody calls me at 11 o'clock at night, think things are heating up. And they say, "Oh, I better go to bed." I tell myself, "I better go to bed right now," and then I, I can't sleep anyway. So, um, but yes, you train yourself in any job to be able to function. And again, most of what we do isn't high intellect; it's mostly, you know, easy stuff to do. Other than all of a sudden, it's like we're, we 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 turn it on. Yeah, I feel and, like and, uh, I, feel, I feel like let me say it. I feel like I just this came into my head. I feel like I'm a field goal kicker for an NFL team.
1: Yeah. OK, say more about that.
0: Well, I'm sitting around doing absolutely nothing for most of the game and there's three seconds left in the game. And now the whole game like <laughs> is on my foot. OK, because yeah. for the what what is you know, what does the kicker do for 59 minutes of a game i mean yes he gets called in to kick an extra point or kick a field goal but nothing's more important than at that very end where the, you know they're down by two points they got a 40 yard field goal and you miss it and your and your whole team and you, and all the fans are really pissed at you and you got all this pressure on you a lot of pressure you we, there is pressure on us all right
1: yeah. And how and, yeah
0: but most of the time you don't feel it i feel it especially because what i do you know i'm doing things that are know uh, a little more outside the the norm so you know i'm very comfortable and confident with what i'm doing but i also know that um we're being we're being you know we're being we're under surveillance we're being watched so to speak if you know what i mean by that right
1: yeah Yeah. so
0: um yeah these are pressures but at this point in my life i mean what else am i going to (laughs) do
1: (laughs) (laughs) but you know, it's interesting. It's like, I guess that's the reality of, of living and being a midwife or a care you know, a care provider. You're, you're you're in such a unique position, Stu. I don't even like to say that you're an obstetrician, although I know you are, um, you know, in this modern day and age, because if we didn't have the social construct pressure of lawsuits and uh, the medical board and, you know, those kinds of things, the actual birth work. Mm-hmm. I wonder how much of that would actually be stressful. You know, I wonder it wouldn't be, my- it,
0: it wouldn't be, it would be much, much less. I'll tell you, I'm when I was driving in my car, this is a good, it's uh, I, I'm listening. I, I read, I read the first six books of Outlander years ago. And the seventh book has been the last book has been sitting on my nightstand forever. So I finally bought it on audible and I'm listening to it. And in the seventh book, there's a lot of um, Claire doing a lot of um, medical stuff, fixing this, fixing that. Do you think she had to worry about uh, like some uh, Monday morning quarterback coming in and telling her that, no, she can't do that anymore. You can't, you can't uh, drain that splinter or put your finger in his eyeball or, or, you know, you, you no, she didn't, you know, she just was dedicated and, and she would never leave a patient unattended. Whether it was friend or foe, it didn't matter. She wasn't getting paid anything to do it. Um, she did it because that was she was a calling for her. And for a lot of us, it's a calling, but the 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 regulators and the micromanagers can't keep their, you know, they think that they're they're the only arbiters of safety and that if it weren't for them that everything would go to hell and i would argue that there's some people that that's probably true for but i think more of it goes to hell because of them not not not
1: yeah
0: yeah
1: so um what do you do to deal with the stress how do you how do you take care of yourself oh. in regards to this you know so we talked about time off and stuff like that but in what do you do to care for yourself, work-life balance when it comes to the pressures and the stress?
0: I get outside. Um, I have my two horses and I, I've, I find nurturing with them and caring for them are very relaxing for me, even, even though they have a bunch of medical problems too. Wait, um, But being outside, mm-hmm. I find it too. And listening to my uh, certain music helps me to deal with that and then sometimes watching watching an old movie or an old sitcom that i've seen before and i know how it ends and i know it makes me smile or laugh or gives me goosebumps or makes me cry oh my son my son max was so sensitive the other day he he and uh, his fiance were watching a movie called fly away home i don't know if you remember the movie yeah with anna paquin and jeff uh uh Daniels Uh, Mm -hmm. yeah Jeff Daniels and um he knows it's one of my favorite movies he knows I cry at the end of the movie he knows I'm a sucker for father-daughter movies and he sent me clips from it while I was on my trip he sent me like some of the music from the very end and there's a scene at the very end where where Anna Paquin tilts her head down and puts it on her dad's shoulder it's like oh my god so I find those sorts of things to be renewing and why I do what I do um you know I'm so grateful that I have my kids and my family yeah
1: yeah your family is a big one right yeah
0: yeah and, and despite the fact that my extended family I don't see them anymore yeah um, for another for the issue that we won't bring up right now but you know what I'm talking about
1: yeah right. um so I think the other point um in terms of like dealing with stress is for some people, they might need to have a therapist. They might need um, somebody that's professional that they can talk to about the fear and about the, you know, the intense situation sometimes that they're put in, or if they are dealing with an investigation or something like that, they might need somebody that they know that they can turn to and talk these feelings out. Um, that might look like your community, your peers, Um, some peer reviews are very supportive and very helpful and helpful. And some, um, some people don't experience that or don't have the support within their community, but I think it's important to find, like you were saying earlier, like-minded people or people in this profession that you can talk some of this things, these things out with, um, just like I was talking about, you know, the, the women that I get to text anytime about any life situation, having to do with being a midwife or just, you know, life in general. I think that's important. Um,
0: Yeah, I have that, I have that network of people too, that, that we reach out to each other when when something is infuriating or something is thrilling. Um, It's nice to have that small group of people that you do that. But, uh, you know, I, I don't really have, you know, a peer review process other than the midwife peer review process, which is sort of you know, I went for a long time. I haven't gone in the last year or two um, because it, 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 I I feel like I end up. Everybody looks at me.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you're not getting what you need. You're being there for them,
0: yeah. which is fine. And if they invite yeah. me to come, well, that's fine. But otherwise, yeah, yeah I, I I don't have I don't have that. So you know, when I when I have a loss or when I have a a, a bad outcome or something like that, I you know, I rely on you, and, yeah, and a few other people in our in our little circle. Beth. Yeah, we need
1: each other, yep.
0: for sure. Mm-hmm.
1: So, I think the last thing that I would say in terms of work life balance is, um, you know, again, this is going to be individual for everybody, but making sure that you fill your cup because you cannot give the way that we give to other people if you don't have an overflow. If you're depleted. And you're always giving from a place of depletion. It's only a matter of time before you're not going to be able to sustain that, whether it's you're going to have um, a health situation that's going to make it impossible for you to do that, or you're just emotionally not going to be able to hold that container for people. So, you know, that might be a daily thing that you make sure that you do. It might be like, like Dr. Stu and I were talking about like taking time off. We know that, you know, we can give, give, give for a certain amount of time and then we need to be able to like go and fill our cup. There's a lot that I do on a daily basis, you know, um, meditation, movement, music, um, uh, being social with people, making sure that I have time to like, you know, not have to think about birth, but actually, yeah, like you were saying, you watch a stupid movie, you know, just be silly for a little while, just be playful. That's really important to me, but I can tell that there are times when I don't have what I need to give people. And then I ask for help, you know, um, I, I could ask for my assistant to maybe go to a couple because she's licensed to go to a couple postpartums or to take, you know, call for me so that I can get an extra night's sleep if I'm feeling super emotional or feeling like if I get called to a birth tonight and I haven't slept, um, I'm not going to be. It's not just being awake; it's it's being able to for me. It's being able to be that emotional, peaceful, calm, not fear based provider that I'm so committed to and. If I don't have a time to recoup, then I don't have that to give. So I think that's all very individual in terms of figuring out and knowing yourself well enough to know I'm not at my best, you know, and this can only go on for so long. So having a community of people that you can turn to, to really say like, I need, I need someone to come and help me out today, you know, um, or for this week or whatever. I think that that's really important too.
0: I think that's really well said, and I, and I agree with that 100% um, as a caveat or in addition to that, I think when we're not at our best, um, we still have to be at our best. Mm-hmm. And somebody once said it this way, we, we, um, we have a moral obligation to be happy. So if you have trauma at home, if you have financial problems, even that, you cannot take that into the office, you cannot take that into the birth. Right. Right. You don't have the right to, to do that. You you, right. you have to leave it at home or count to 10 or whatever, but you 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 especially in our in our one-on-one where we're confidence and it's so important to the to getting the outcomes that we want for us to bring in our crap or come in as Debbie Downer, so to speak, or or Dr. Stu Downer whatever is is wrong we have a moral obligation to try to spread happiness and we have to be in the right mindset to do that
1: yeah Um, and if you're not in that go ahead i was saying sometimes it's that easy like oh okay i need to leave this at home and you and you can do that and other times you know like i i'm just not i'm just not going to be able to do that today you know and um yeah like you know there's times like what happened with Sky, where I just knew I needed Beth. You know, I needed I needed another midwife to be there, so that if I had an emotional moment. I remember a birth where it was a mom and daughter, um, and the mom was there supporting her daughter giving birth. It was very early days, probably one of the first three or four births, and I just had this moment where I realized that I was never going to be able to do that with my daughter. And I had to step out of the room. I like, there was no way of not being able to give myself a moment to take care of that. And I had somebody that I could rely on to be able to be in the room yeah. when I couldn't. So I agree with you hundred percent, Stu. Like we need, to, we need to come into the birth room and come into the office and be on the calls with our clients with um, knowing that we can put whatever is bothering us aside.
0: And bliss, you know what? It's not just that. We need to go into the grocery store. We need to go into the bank. We need to go into the park with the same attitude, and 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 feel, you know, happy and spread smiles. You know, when you're when you're on hiking trails in the national park, the people that you meet there, they're all. Some are zoned, but but nobody's mean. Nobody's not. Nobody isn't nice. Everyone's nice. Because, you know, that's where you are and that's, you know, out in the open and you, you know, it's like minded yeah. people, but, yeah. but we have that same obligation. I mean, I, I'm not good at it. I mean, I'm getting better at it, but I, cause I have really strong opinions about things. And so when I go into a store and the store and the checkout lady is, is doesn't make eye contact with me or is rude or something like that, you know, I might ask her something like, you know, how's your day going? Which
1: mm-hmm. is something,
0: something positive, you know, is beautiful day outside or just say something. To see if I can get them to come back to where everyone benefits, because we all put out energy, and there's nothing better than 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 the energy we put out when you're feeling loving or happy. Than I love it, and you can detect that. So that's what we should do, and and we can't always do it. So the life work balance thing is something that everybody has to find for themselves. I think you're right about mothers with little children, especially if they don't have support. It probably isn't the right time to do it. But if you have your uh the grandparents living at home, or you have your husband living at home, or your or your partner, uh, excuse me for saying husband, <laughs> but, <laughs> but if you have your partner at home, um, you can probably do it. But again, those people can probably seek out this this career, but they may want to go toward the group model, um, where they know when they're on, they know when they're off.
1: Yeah.
0: The downside. So anyways- I did mention there were downsides to that. and the downsides of that are some of your favorite clients. You're not going to be at their deliveries and you're going to end up delivering people that you don't really know that well. And that that's one of the downsides of it, but.
1: Yeah. And you may have to compromise with a provider. You know, if you're in a group practice and your partner doesn't feel the same or your group practice doesn't feel the same about, taking a risk uh, with something that you feel comfortable giving true right. informed consent, then you're, you're, you know, this is what I saw at the sanctuary, then the, the care kind of gets diluted a little bit. And when it's just you and your clients, um, you don't necessarily have to make those.
0: No, some people would are okay with saying, we'll we'll just skip the diabetes screening other midwives might not be okay with that. Just like, you know, we have, there are some medical groups where one of the doctors wants to back up midwives and take transports, but the rest of the partners are not comfortable with it. So the doctor won't do it. Uh, The the same thing can happen in a a midwife group of two or three or four. Yeah. Um, Anyways. Okay. That
1: was great. I I, I, I think we gave them a good, gave everybody a good idea of how we have um, done work life balance and
0: yeah, I'm not sure so sure that I've done it as great as I could have. I mean, I'm still single and I'm still, you know, <laughs> uh, you know trying to figure that stuff out. Um, I would, uh, yeah, it would be nice if there was, if there was some sort of um, somebody else around all the time. <laughs> right?
1: Yeah. Besides our cats. Yeah, you, know,
0: you grow used to this point. And what'd you say? Besides our cats? Yes. <laughs> besides our cats. Um, I do want to say that uh, about two weeks ago, by the time this podcast was released, I was interviewed by the doing at home uh, couple that run the doing at home podcast. Yeah. And so if you, you could probably find it on my link tree, uh, Emily, <laughs> um, but uh, there'll be a link to the doing it at home podcast, or if you don't subscribe to them, you know, you might want to subscribe and put it on your to-do list of a zillion podcasts. We all have now that we can't possibly listen to all of them because there isn't enough time in the day. Although When you're driving 5,000 miles in a few, in a couple of weeks, you really get to hear a lot of stuff. Yeah. A lot of podcasts, a lot of Outlander, a lot of music, a lot of, a lot of times, nothing when I'm driving, I'm only going 30 miles an hour and stuff. I turn off everything. I open the windows, but on the freeways and highways and stuff, it's too noisy. I can't hear anything. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. Well, it's good to see you. Um, We'll be in person for our next recording, which will be fun. I think, right? Yep. We will
0: we definitely will. And uh, nothing will stop us. That's right. Nothing will stop us. (laughs) And again, you can find, you know, I think, I think we say where you can find us on uh, birthinginstincts.com and birthingbliss.com in our, I don't know if we actually say our websites, but people could go to the website. I have a lot of information there, a lot of stuff on my resources page. So I hope you'll make use of that. And uh, I do have a reteach breach seminar coming up the end of September in uh, Bozeman, Montana so people can look into that. Um, I'll also be in San Antonio, Texas in November. Um, Probably other things too. I do have a calendar. I don't know if Emily's keeping it up, but it's on the website as well. So Bliss, you look happy right now. (laughs) You look happy. Yeah, good,
1: I'm glad. Uh, Yeah, I'm excited to be able to see you and to get out of Sacramento finally. And uh, my fiftieth birthday is coming up in a couple of weeks, so that's what well, I was thinking we'll about. Celebrated were...
0: prematurely while while we're together. Yeah, right? as you
1: were talking about September. So, um, so see you soon. Yeah, we know that
0: you have lots of podcasts you can listen to. We're just really flattered that you listen to ours. So, until next time,
1: bye bye.